Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Just like that. Second hour is here, Jeff. Hot Mike Hunter Withrow. Across the Outkick Network, which is Outkick.com slash watch where you can stream the show live. You can also join us uh, post-show on YouTube. Just search out Outkick. Subscribe there. Um, can I give you some quick advice on Yeah, you? please. Don't watch True Detective Season 4. Okay. That country. Okay? Here's, Don't watch it. Don't even start it. You know my Because it'll fool you because the first episode was good, and it got progressively worse. So, and Chad knows this through the years. I'm not going to watch a ton of shows. But when I do, I lock in. Yeah, you're going to be very selective now, on the ones that you want to watch. But because you know, because you've heard that you need to watch through it. you. Yes. And uh, you can have a conversation with someone that is also watching said show. We can use True Detective here. That I believe Davey's watching this, right? Or was. Uh, I don't think Davey's even going to And if I'm it. just the bystander that's just listening to, man, it's just not that good. Of, like, I'm done. I'm not going to invest if by episode three, uh, it's just not, it's just not picking up a little steam. That, that's been the case with just a handful, though. Um, this is certainly one of them. Don't worry. I will. I will well, not. it's time to and, put the series hey, back in Nick Pizzolatto's Chad, hands. Chad went back to True Detective Season 1 by Episode 3 of the most recent season. Because they were referencing Season 1 with different storylines, the new <laughs> one. I'm thinking, I, I want to go back and watch this now. I love it. But in watching it, <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, this is a damn masterpiece. Like that, it was great. True Detective season one is really three different shows, and all three shows are great. Like the first five episodes ends with that could have been the end of one whole show. Yes, you're right. Then it goes forward seven years, and then eventually eighteen years into the future. And all three of those shows are terrific, well written, mystery throughout. Characters are developed. What about you know what like one? this was this was a show. My biggest critique, I would say, is. Well, there's a couple. One, you can't do just six episodes and think people are going to care that much about the twist that you've written in about characters you haven't had enough time to invest in to care anything about. I did finish it, Chad, and I'm thankful it was only six episodes. I, yes, it, but also it, I think I that they the time could just have, on those six. They could have developed. The, the issue, though, is like, I don't want to spoil anything. Don't worry. But I'm there's a big, in the penultimate episode, there's a big moment. But the moment it comes out of nowhere, and then when it happens, you just think, huh, really wish I felt something about any of these two characters because I haven't spent enough time with them or know enough about them to think one way or the other. So it just lands flat because there's not enough time to advance anything. There, like, the it needs to go back to Nick Pizzolatto. Like Issa Lopez may be a fine horror director. But the showrunner needs to be the original guy. I hope that he's alive. So right there, I, I, I want to go back now on the table. I'm sure he said it's like or Huckleberry yeah, right there. Huckleberry. Wait. I want to know if Chad said horror or whore. Whore. <laughs> Issa Lopez is great at horror. <laughs> now, I want to be clear. Not whore. Horror. Chad, uh, what, Davey, what did you hear? Uh, yeah, I, I'm not the one to ask on this. No, so that's back why horror. Huckleberry, Huckleberry. And they say in the North, horror. Um, that's a that's a northern way of pronouncing horror horror a whore director, but Pizzolatto uh, is is still alive. I, I he's actually been dissing the new season. Good. Well, then bring him back. Look, 
it's time to forgive Pizzolatto for season two of True Detective, which sucked. Because having rewatched season one, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece of modern television that we haven't seen much like it since. I want him to recreate that vibe with great actors and come back for season five. We had the Issa Lopez experience. Uh, they can now virtue signal and say they've had a, a woman lead the show, uh, and it sucked. So let's move back to the original guy who wrote it, and let's write a season Such five a with sexist. him. Write okay. a season five with him. How dare you? How dare you go? Look, there are guys guy. who wrote on the show too. Like it's hey, not you I, know she's the showrunner, so she takes the the, the brunt of it. But I mean, the guy who wrote Ozark is also one of the co-creators and writers of it. Speaking of, so so that's a great example of a show that just grabs you immediately. With yeah. the characters. And I like the show start to finish. Breaking Bad, same way. Yeah. Uh, Game of Thrones took a couple episodes. Yeah. You know, like there's there's some great shows that take, but a six-episode season? Right? Six-episode, yeah, and it's basically oh. a miniseries yeah. of, of you've uh, gotta, True You've got to just jump You've got to really go quick, and they, they meandered. Like episodes two through five, really, are just meandering. Yeah. The only investigating going on is the young dude in their department that's just Google searching things and giving them information about companies. And I'm thinking, what are the two main detectives actually doing, detective-wise? They're doing nothing. Jodie Foster's great. I mean, she's a screen president. She's a great actress. She's really good throughout, but not enough to make me care about the story. So I'm, I'm out on it. I, I would say don't watch it. Um, the first episode, someone said they were out from the first moment they watched. I'm thinking... The first episode was the only thing good about it. It gets progressively worse from that point forward. I will give them credit for at least answering pretty much all the questions about the crimes There's in the finality. last episode. You get closure well, on pretty much everything. You just wish you felt something about There's that one closure. thing that they still didn't explain, but everything else they explained. But man, I was I was hoping Rust Cole well, would walk through the door at the end of the no, episode. No, I'm kind of glad they didn't incorporate that. I, I want that to stay a standalone. But this time last year, HBO did have The Last of Us out, and like The Last of Us was significantly better. And I'm just like I'm glad I get my Sunday evenings back now. When does Last of Us come back? It's going to be a minute. Yeah, HBO's got some cool stuff at least coming trailer wise, but. Swing and a miss on that one. That's disappointing because I love that franchise. Well, the NBA was loving uh, the G League. I mean, they they were sending a lot of players to uh, the NBA draft immediately, you know, after that one year or whatever. And then you had uh, players that were enticed by skipping school and getting paid. Well, now NIL is certainly, well, it's the same format. And Charles Barkley brought this up with Commissioner Adam Silver over NBA All-Star Weekend. I don't know what's going to happen, to be honest with you, with the G League and things like that. We screwed up college sports with the NIL thing. Uh, what can we do, the NBA, to get together with the colleges? Because it is the wild, wild west on steroids, literally, between you got college coaches leaving to take assistant jobs in the NFL and things like that because they don't want to have to pay all these college players. What? We gonna have to do something. What? What? Can you, can you get together with the NCAA? Because number one, the NCAA—they're boneheads. They are. They, but you know what? The reason I call them boneheads—they always reactive. And once you react to something, it's already out of control. So, what do you think we're gonna be able to do between the NIL and the G League? Yeah, and Adam Silver answered by not really knowing what he was gonna do. Just they were gonna assess things. With that, he uh, said that Charlie Baker has talked. They've talked about 
possible solutions, but didn't go into detail. Yeah. Well, I mean, as if Baker's going to have a solution. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat awaiting Charlie Baker's resolution to all things, all problems with college sports. I'm but, sure that's going to happen any, any yeah. day now. Yeah. It would be the NCAA to actually care about the G League. Yeah. You know, this is what we, we must protect. We must protect the G League <laughs> at all costs. You think Charlie Baker starts his board meeting with that? Guys, uh, first rule. Protect the G League at all costs. We've got to make first, sure it's taken care of. Central Michigan wraps up their investigation on who is, in fact, on the sideline. Was that, in fact, Connor Stallions? Or, was we don't know, they, they claim they, they're investigating. We're still waiting on results of this investigation. Or uh, Charlie Baker helped solve the G League issue with Commissioner Adam Silver. Oh, I'm still, I'm holding out hope. i got to learn the name of the woman that's the athletic director at Central Michigan. But I'm still holding out hope that yeah. the Chippewas are going to reach a resolution and we're going to find out, who, who, gonna printed, find out. who printed out that laminate and got him that field pass. We're going to get to the bottom of this mystery. It's cool. almost as good as the detectives and true detective who did actually no detective work except for one young guy that Googled the entire time. Uh, this, is, this is the same similar investigation tactics being implemented at Central Michigan right now. They're bringing out all the bells and whistles for the NBA All-Star Weekend, right? Uh, you know, we're still talking about, you know, whether or not Reggie Miller and uh, Kenny Smith are, uh, you know, they're they're at odds over who's sexist and who's not because of a women's basketball. And if you believe that it's sexist that uh, Kenny Smith said that, well, uh, the WNBA would be sexist because they play with a different size basketball. Um, Haters, but there are some decent aspects. You know, we've seen this some on the ice in the NHL. What do you think about the LED court that they? We're showing off. I, I, I watched this probably three times on social over the weekend um, because you could move the lines back, the three-point lines move around. Um, you've, you know, if you have the, the shooting competition, I think it's awesome. I think it's great. Um, and, you know, the NBA, if you go to a game, it's a show. You know, they got music during the game. Uh, it, Chad, you and I went to a Grizzlies game together. Mm-hmm. It was blast. It had a blast. Um, this is adding to that. Where, you know, if you're a fan of a, a hockey team, I don't think you're calling in to your local sports host and breaking down the hockey game. You're going to the game because of FOMO. You're going to be socialized. And that's, in essence, what this is, too. And it's hitting the younger audience. Yeah, I mean, it's cool for a, a celebrity game, an all-star game, a dunk competition. I, I watched a lot of with the dunk competition. I thought it was neat how it was almost like a, a jackpot that would hit on the court after the dunk was complete and everything would change on the court. It's cool optically to witness. Now, I never want to see it in an actual sporting contest. And the right. All-Star game is not an actual sporting contest, but if there's legit competition taking place where there's real stakes well, and it's a real game, I don't want to see an LED court, but absolutely. And we've seen that in a number of things in recent years with starting lineups. Pre-game stuff, turn the lights out, do all of this. It's great. I remember when the Chicago Bulls with Jordan – were the first team to shut the lights out and play that yeah. music and have the spotlight on them. And then they would have, remember back in the day, Hutton, when the United Center opened and they had like that green Chicago Bulls logo and laser that would appear on the court. They, then they would the write out the city. If you remember, they write out the autograph of Michael Jordan, yeah. or Scottie Pippen That's and everyone right. on the court. And I remember thinking as a kid, but this is mind blowing to watch this level of entertainment at a basketball game. Loved it. Loved every second of it. If you're going to do something like that for pregame stuff, yes, bring that on. Now, in the game, 
I'm out on that. But any type of entertainment around it in commercial breaks, cool. halftime, I'm all for it. Uh, so I watched that a handful of times. I, I watched this next social clip uh, off of, uh, I believe it was UFC 298 uh, during the Alexander Volkanovsky walkout. Mark Zuckerberg is uh, a part of uh, the, the ringside crew for uh, Volk. And the awkward, like, how many times he's left hanging here uh, where he's trying to grab something. He's tr- he doesn't know what he should do with his hands. I mean, look at him. He's, he's jamming to the music <laughs> uh, because Volkanovsky's from Australia and uh, they've got a, a, he's got a, a special walkout song there. But look at, I mean, look at this guy. Most awkward. And he's, he's a diehard MMA guy. Mm-hmm. Trains. And you can, if he's nervous, he doesn't really know what he's supposed to be doing. But no one's handing him crap. If it's hilarious, first off, but if I'm Mark Zuckerberg and I'm one of the richest people on the planet, yeah, I'm making damn sure that I have my role carved out for what I'm going to do when the cameras are on when I get out there. <laughs> like I'm handling the headgear or I'm doing something like I'm the towel guy. You're there just to be seen, though. Well, like, I, even if you're just being flown in, which I'm sure he is, right? There's no like, you know, prep for this. Well, but you I'm can only being have, flown you in can have to go five out there. Ringside. Total for right. your fight. But if I'm being flown in to be ringside, I'm getting in the locker room with the guys right before we go out and saying, all right, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, ready, break. But, so I have some sort of role so, so I know going, what I'm doing. But going back to the whole like Elon Musk saga, Volkanovsky was like training with him. So like there's a, there is a, like a, a friendship there. And Volkanovsky asked him to be a part of his, his walkout. Um, but beyond that, though, you can only have five ringside with you. Octagon side, whatever Dana wants to call it. Again, just awkward. It was, uh, it was a funny when, video. And when you see him, you automatically think, oh, is that Mark Zuckerberg? Yeah. He, is he like Benjamin Buttoning in front of us? He's getting younger. You think he's getting he younger? He looks way more youthful than even I remember him last. Like, it's a very odd thing that's happening with Mark I mean, Zuckerberg. I look at physically. Him, say, there's a dude who can't fight, is what I think. Oh, I'm sure he's in terrific shape. There's a dude shape. who can't fight. Oh, but he wants to fight. Like, he trains. Yeah. That guy's entire constitution had is, favored, right? is water and wheatgrass. That's what's in him right now. And he just wakes up and does yoga every morning. I'm sure he's in terrific shape. Yeah. But I don't know if he can fight. Uh, Alphas and betas of the weekend. Hideki Matsuyama, a nine birdie, no, bur- no bogey, 62, uh, to win by three shots. Uh, he's the most pr- prolific player right now on tour uh, from Asia. And he was down, what, five strokes? Yep. Came back to win. And uh, did so by actually citing a scorecard that worked. It was uh, funny from Spieth, who tweeted, just make sure you double-check the scorecard because he got uh, disqualified. He got booted. Because um, I signed it a, 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 four, a three instead of a four on one of the, uh, the holes on Friday. And sometimes in our alphas and betas, just not being a beta can by default make you an alpha. And that was Hideki Matsuyama. Everyone around him was terrible. They all self-destructed on Sunday. Patrick Cantlay... Luke List was in the lead at one point. Xander Shoffley was up there at one point. Everyone wilted down the stretch, and Matsuyama played great in the final round, and he wins the championship. And Ohio State interim head coach, uh, Jake Diebler. He, Jake, Jake Diebler. In, in the debut. Yeah, former uh, Valpo player, played for Bryce Drew, um, coach with Bryce Drew, and in his first game, Knocks off the number one team, previous number one team in the country in Purdue. Um, great job by him. Did not see that coming. 
Didn't see Chris Holtzman, by the way, not succeeding at Ohio State coming also. Um, that surprised me. They make the move in season, and it immediately pays dividends, where in game number one at home, they're able to knock off Purdue. Uh, UCLA's Sebastian Mack leads off the betas of the weekend for the flagrant foul, which flagrant two, an ejection, uh, and their loss to Utah. So he enters the game as the Bruins' leading scorer, which is what, like 14 or 15 points per game. Uh, and then the, the flagrant foul after video review uh, heads to the locker room, and rightfully so. Yeah. Um, yeah, beta for all of this. And someone in our state, the final beta. Penny Hardaway. Although, you and I agree that the comments aren't that, I mean, by and large, he's saying all the things that I think we want him to say. Yeah, it's hard for me to call him a beta and not say what Rick Pitino pulled is also beta. But not Because it's, it's I, similar. See, but I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a reaction to what he said, which we're going to play in a second. But it, uh, to me, it's, it's more about the, the sum of the parts. You yeah. know, he's, he's headed for another NIT. Well, and he said, uh, he's, um, but we watched the stand-up, and it's one of those where you know, he's got his like, getting on the bus clothes on, and he's leaning up against a wall outside the locker room, and he's got his beat asking him questions post-game. Yep. And he starts by saying, effing losing like this, this is terrible, man. This is not competing at all. I don't know what's going on. I just don't understand why we're not competing. Every day we're playing for our life to make it to the NCAA tournament. We just haven't been a team in a long time. He has stated things like this before, that there's some division in the locker room. They were, what, 13-2, and 15-2? It becomes the head coach's responsibility to figure it out. Yes. Right? Like that, You are the one getting paid the most money, and you are the leader of the team. We all know the old adage that's true, that the best teams are player-led. And players at some point do have to figure some things out. But if they're incapable of figuring it out, and there's infighting on your team, you have to make the necessary adjustments to cut it out and make sure you start heading in the right direction. Penny Hardaway at least was honest that he's not been able to do that. Up, I mean, he says, I'm not able to figure it out right now with this group. Of, of, of what's going on. Half, they lose to South Florida. They also lost to uh, Rice earlier yeah. in a stretch where they've lost six of their last eight after beginning the year, what, 15-2. and two. Here's Penny Hardaway uh, with the, the media scrum postgame. It wasn't like this. This is terrible, man. This is not competing at all. I don't know, what, I don't know what's going on, but it's not competing. Is that, I mean, there was, you know, the broadcast team on TV that brought that up. Questioning, effort, everything. So you're saying that's fair. Yeah, it's fair. Y'all saw the same game we saw, right? I just don't understand why it's not competing. Every game we play is for our, for our life to make it to the NCAA tournament. That's how that's how I view that's how I view coming in every game. Kind of a broad question, but do you feel like certain guys or all guys have quit on the season? Not all guys. I mean, don't try to do that to all the guys. It seems like some have though. It's been going on like that for a minute though. Chad, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes there. Uh, it just my small dealings with Penny, I like him. Calling the state championship games or whatever, whenever he was a high school coach. I really like him. Um, I just don't, if he's not recruiting his players, he hasn't coached them prior, he's not going to continue to pull in this same type of deal. Uh, because whenever he, whenever he does, by and large, those guys either get hurt or you know they lived with him in high school and they're ineligible. Or James Wiseman is ineligible because he transfers and had a previous relationship with Penny because he was connected to him and coached him in high school. Again, all of it just connects back to um, 
I don't want to say he's in over his, in over his head because I think he's passionate about the game. He knows it. But I don't ever see that being successful. I It's just unorganized. So I think about Penny Hardaway, Jerry Stackhouse. Um, I mean, there are others too, but guys who were truly great basketball players. Jawan Howard's a good one. But guys who are truly great basketball players, that, that there's different issues here. Jerry Stackhouse has just not recruited well enough and his team's not talented enough to really get the job done. And he's it, something's lost in translation with him and his players. But Jerry Stackhouse, for all of his faults, he's not rolling over on his guys. That's he's right. not saying what Rick Pitino's saying, right? That By name. I'm coaching the guys right. I can't help that they can't move laterally is what Rick Pitino's saying, right? I watch this from Penny Hardaway, and I, I don't hate anything he's saying. I feel like he's being vulnerable and honest with his approach, but it's a different thing because Memphis is talented. He does have talent. He's not saying they don't have talent. He's saying this team, there's an issue. They're fighting. There's something not going on. There are guys that are dogging it out there, and you saw that I played the guys who were giving max effort at the end of the game. But he's also almost throwing his hands up saying, I, I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. And I think about that mentality with yeah. two guys who were that great at the game and Penny Hardaway and Jerry Stackhouse. And it's got to be hard for them to figure out how to motivate if guys just aren't motivated. Because to they've, never, they've never done that. Michael Jordan. They've never had to do that. We always thought about Michael Jordan, right, as if he was coaching, like how can Michael Jordan get to a kid to do things like Michael Jordan does them? When they're not Michael Jordan. Think about him owning the Hornets and how bad they were. That's why oftentimes some of the not great players out there turn into great coaches because they've had to coach themselves up or coach others up around them, and they know about it. I think there's a sometimes there can be a difficult disconnect between great player as a coach talking to players who aren't great all the time. Chad Shannon-Terry's great. He's about yeah. to join us. Uh, talk Good to ball player, too. Oh, absolutely. Solid. Uh, we discuss what's really going on underneath the surface of all the NIL discussion because we led the show with this. The perception is that they're pushing, that they want us all to believe, is that players getting paid, earning revenue through a collective is going to be the death of the sport that we, that we know and that we grew up loving. When really, we can point to these coaching buyouts and payments through athletic departments and show you where there's really just inept leadership taking place. Beyond that, there's also a partnership that's taking place between the SEC and the Big Ten. So every time I think of or hear Charlie Baker, I automatically think of Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti, who's really leading things. Jen and Terry tells us next with Hot Mike. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy, you go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great, you'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Glad you're with us. 
Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow here at Outkick.com slash watch. One of our favorite guests, Hutton. Absolutely. Every time. Yeah, and every time he comes in studio, no questions asked. He's very busy, and he's nice to give us his time. Shannon Terry is the founder of On3, uh, which uh, it's being brought up as part of the discussion I from think time that, to time. I think that uh, Shannon just loves the vibe at 6th and Peabody. Maybe even well, more too. than us. Like I think that's he too. loves coming to this facility. More Shannon, than good to else. see you, that's man. That's why he comes in the studio. Guys, great to be here. You said uh, hey, you're starting to enjoy the offseason. There is no offseason for you. Not, there is no offseason. Not in a startup that's uh, three years old, no. So uh, <laughs> a startup that's three years old is in the middle of a, a discussion of back and forth of commissioners and presidents. And, oh, you've got uh, lawsuits going on and judges that are bringing things up prosecutors and defense uh, arguments that are mentioning on three. What comes to mind when you hear all this? Where do you start? You know, have you ever seen, you know, we've, we've all been college sports fans for a long time. Yeah. We've followed it as fans. We've worked in the, in the trade. I've never seen anything like this past, what, two years. And, you know, on three just finished its second full college sport, uh, college football season. Um, and, I thought we had a good plan going into to this year, and we've made some good hires. But wow, you can't you can't predict this stuff. What is from what you've heard and any of these arguments? Because you follow it all. What did, what have you found to be just the most uh, the the wool <laughs> over the you know what I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm trying to be nice about this, but the uh, the, the most BS approach or argument in favor of one guy or the other, one side or the other? Because there, there are so many, and I could start at the very top, but I'll, I want to know where you where you fall on this and what issue is the biggest, maybe the biggest lie. The, the storylines, there's there's so many different storylines. I mean, we could take all day. It could be a Netflix series where we, we break down NIL, college sports, and all that. I think when I look back, the biggest BS was the summer of 23 uh, with, with all of the lobbying – um, from the different commissioners, from all the all the parties, to go to the feds for help before any type of plan was put before them, and just all the different drafts from the different senators. I mean, as we look back, that that's comical. Yeah. And then just a few months later, six months later, what was it? Last month, you know, the announcement from the SEC and the Big Ten are now forming a, a joint advisory group to, to look into possibilities of solutions. Six months ago, come on, get real. That was such a – I don't even know what to say. What was really going on, though? Oh, I, I really think that the commissioners were, were doing their part. I also know behind the scenes they were, you know, looking at all the possibilities of, of how this thing would, would play out. I don't think anyone – and there's some really smart people – I don't think anyone with a brain thought that anything from the federal government was going to was going to get passed. And as I said on this show many times, the only solution um, for college sports, the only solution that's going to happen will originate, will come from the SEC and the Big Ten. And now now all of that happened. So all of this could happen. And there's been a lot of breakage in college football and some of the things were, you know, I was very strong for the athlete, for the athlete, and I'm very, very for the athlete in this. You know, we saw a lot of things with the transfer portal, saw a lot of things during this last 30-day window 
the sport is more broken right now behind the scenes than even I had expected it to be. But that's a great thing because that's the only thing that's going to lead to a quick resolution. And speaking of quick resolution, or at least a quick alliance with the SEC and the Big Ten, Shannon, which you had mentioned, that's going to eventually be the resolution, those two figuring out a way. How much quicker was that made by the NCAA's move to leak the information that they're investigating Tennessee and then Tennessee's response to that investigation? It feels like that kind of tipped over the first domino and everything started falling down quickly from that point forward. And quickly we got to that point where you've got the two super conferences getting together. I, I, for the life of me, I mean, and you always have to, sometimes things, people, we, we've all done, we do things so dumb. We have to say that's calculated stupidity. (laughs) It goes back to the, you know, to the enforcement against Florida state, then Tennessee, I can't think of a tactically more stupid move by the NCAA to proceed in that. Number one, knowing the landscape of NIL and transfer portal, knowing their entire house wasn't in good standing. Um, they, they set a bomb off in their own living room, and, and that also will serve a catalyst towards a resolution. There's no words to describe. Let me – so – if I'm actually going to pretend that this was calculated, the bomb's already gone off, right? You would say the NCAA, based on just the the partnership, quote unquote, which has already happened between the SEC and the Big Ten. And the judge says he's going to rule. Okay. Yeah. Yes. So, does the NCAA, even with the knowledge that they're going in to lose, does that help their argument that they need federal legislation to stay in some type of power and exist? Because if right now they don't really exist for what they're arguing for, yeah, they, they don't. They don't exist. You see right? what I'm saying though? They they don't exist, but they do exist. They're about to learn what not existing looks like. But if they if they have the if they have the commissioners do this, there is no more Charlie Baker, right? I don't think you're going to see the commissioners lobby on the behalf of the NCAA going forward. I think I think this summer. You know, I think that there definitely was some of that going on. Okay. But I, th- I think the new look is going to have to be a carve-out for football. There's just – there's no other way around it. Um, you know, and, and how does the ACC's role in this play? Because, you know, to me that's really intriguing. You know, if, if there's a buyout, you know, and you have North Carolina, Miami, Clemson in the mix, you know, we're, we're getting to a to – a, two-league college football situation. I think the only thing the NCAA can hope for – I do think there's a play for the NCAA, and I think, I think you know, they've got some time to figure out basketball. They're going to have to weather a few lawsuits along the way because college – you know, you've got the whole – you can't just carve out that NIL is going to work or paying athletes or employees is going to work for the new association of college football without it being labor relations issues and Title IX – for, for basketball, should they keep basketball as long as they have the tournament, which I think is 32. And that's when uh, the ESPN partnership, I believe, Chad, with the college football playoff also runs through now. Yeah, and, and look, there's so much money at stake. And, Shannon, you've been on top of this from the beginning. There's so much money at stake for the potential student athlete. And knowing their value, which you guys have done at On3, a pretty good job of showing their value, but also the knowledge that – one guy's value, if you're from 
Hoover, Alabama, your value might be higher to go to Alabama than to go to Northwestern, right? It's not universal across the board. And that is what the states of Tennessee and Virginia are arguing, that it's only right for these guys or, or girls to know exactly what their value is at every potential school before making that decision, just like anyone else in business would, would want to know. So while it's comical to us when the NCAA's attorney comes back and says, oh, there's somewhere where they can go find their value. It's on three because they have valuation for them there. There's a resource for them. It's got to be flattering for you that the NCAA is aware of what you're doing to the point that they're actually citing on three for the resource for student athletes to know exactly what they're going to make everywhere, which we know that's not reality of how it goes. Let's go. I mean, right. Here's the great thing about this. And I'm glad you said that. We took a lot of heat when we first did that because it was like, you got to calculate deal flow, deal flow. And what we said all along was the valuations, 90% coming from the schools and the collectives and the boosters. So all you have to know is what the athletes are being paid by their respective schools, which is what we were tracking. And so, you know, we've, we've done the math. We've looked at the transfer portal. Um, we're projecting $325 million is on the hook to be deployed for college, for P5 football, P4 football uh, over, the next tw- over the next 12 months. So, you know, how that money is divided, I think right now is what's really being interesting because you have a few schools that are all in. They have pushed all the chips on the table. They have gone with absolute reckless abandon into the transfer portal and said, let's go right now. And it's happening. So I hear this and I think, isn't the real reason that they're bringing up on three? Because you are giving the evaluation and the players are going to know the money that the colleges are raking in, that the TV revenue is raking in versus what they're getting. And that number's only going to go higher. Don't they, they're trying to cap something, right? Like they, they don't want the information out there if they can control it and keep it from getting out there. They want to cap whatever knowledge we have on the surface level because what's going on beneath the surface is, hey, we'd like to keep, uh, we'd like to keep the 9% of athletic budget to the player. Right. And we'll keep the rest because while we're not happy with the 9%, we can keep it at 9%. You know, it's, I think I've seen the Knight Commission study you know, with, with cost of attendance in Austin and perks and benefits and scholarships and all the things. It's around 8% right now. Okay. And, and the money that goes to head coaches, administration, and coaching buyouts is 42% on, on average across the board. And by comparison, pro sports, from what I understand, is around 50 to 60% of the money goes to the talent, to the athletes. So a couple points, just knowing those baseline numbers. The first point I want to make is that the majority of Division I athletes receive more in benefit than their value. I don't want to ever give this idea that that most college athletes are in the greatest situation of their life. We're only talking about a few that are in the revenue-generating sports. Okay, that's that's the first piece. You've this, long maintained that. And, I've, I've maintained that. So it's and gonna, you're accurate because they're mentioning this. Yeah. So that so that's the second thing I want to I want to um, illustrate. Uh, here, which is which is really important. The majority of coaches and, and administrators are not against these key athletes getting their fair share. Okay, at first it was it didn't feel right because it was different, but now they are in such an an in an arena of interpretation and uncertainty 
they can't do their jobs. They don't mind paying little Johnny a million dollars if that's what he's worth. They just want to know that they can do it and and how to do it. And so we've seen a fundamental shift. There isn't this non-support that is happening at the administrative and coaching level now. And so that that's really not the issue. Now there will be greed that will come into play in the future. But sitting at 8% right now, greed is not really on the table for anyone. Has Dabo Sweeney come around? Cuz I feel like oh. if Dabo's come around then everyone's on board now with players getting money. I say like he was the, one of the slower ones to really come around. Do you feel like even the more old school thinkers like Dabo Sweeney are completely on board with players getting their fair share? Guys, college players have been getting money for years. Yeah. And and to hear Charles Barkley talk about NILs is, is awesome. Um, whether whether they're, they're on board or not, you know, and there's been a few cases. I mean, cost of attendance in Austin and all these things. Athletes have been receiving money and perks for under the table and above the table for a long period of time. We're just trying to make transparency around it because what transparency brings – is an efficient marketplace, and that's what everyone needs. But the transparency, this you're saying it better, the transparency that you're allowing everyone to see, including the player, I think that's the most important part, the 8%, that could be higher for the elite level based on the revenue that the colleges and the collectives and everyone can continue to make. When the when the TV money continues to rise, I I that is and they're they're verifying your info by bringing up on three. It's coming, Jonathan. You make a great point, and and we're going to see a lot more than three hundred twenty five million dollars. We're going to see a lot better college basketball product. I mean, what I I'm, I'm sorry, I just caught the tail end, but isn't there <laughs> there's issues about the G League and the sure you know it's basically yeah, a college team right now. Yeah, it's coming. And, and and the product isn't going to be in jeopardy. I, I want to. There's right. going to be more parity. You're going to keep. You're going to keep players in college longer because there's money there. I just. I want this whole thing to play out faster. Yes. You know. And and I think. I think that's starting to happen right now. And I think one of the catalysts actually could be these these stupidity of these these lawsuits <laughs> and the AGs coming again. You know that was such a good good move for college sports um, when the AGs took action. Let's get back to the stupidity of the lawsuits that are going on. Because when Tennessee came off the top rope, when that investigation was announced or reported, the response from the NCAA was sort of, hey, guys, guys, we're just doing what our members have asked <laughs> us to do, which is enforce these laws. All we're doing is, is exactly what you want. Now, I'm looking right now at the NCAA Board of Governors, Okay. I can understand Mary Beth Cooper, who is the president of Division Three Springfield College, or Colleen Perry Keith, the president of something called Goldie Beacom College, a Division II school. I can understand these two women getting together and saying, I don't like where college sports is headed because college sports is about college, it's about academia, and it's about student-athletes, and I don't want them getting paid or we're just a professional sport. I can understand them saying that, but when I see Jer Moorhead the president of the University of Georgia, on the board of governors, and I see his quarterback driving around a Lamborghini or whatever it is he's driving around. Shannon, I can't help but think there's no way that Jer Moorhead is saying, yes, I I really think that we should look into NIL and start trying to make some players ineligible at places like Florida, Florida State, Tennessee, because I'm completely clean in all of this. So where is the disconnect with the communication between the members, 
the Board of Governors, and the NCAA, or can this all just be surmised as stupidity? And that's simply what it is. Think fear and protection. You know, like if, if, I'm, if I've got one of those jobs, you know, I'm not going against the establishment. And so, you know, we've seen a lot of that. You, you will always see it, I mean, in these type, you know, bureaucratic jobs. I mean, it looks, just calling it spade a spade. The bottom line is step up and say what needs to be said. And here's the facts, okay? 40-plus schools have done no different than what Tennessee and Florida State or anyone else has done. It's complete and total BS. So just acknowledge it and then be part of the solution and not, not part of the problem. Who is speaking on behalf of the players in this meeting or, or any of these discussions? Because no matter what, I, they will end up with less than probably what they could if they had someone speaking on the, negotiating on their behalf, right? You know, you're not, you're not. It's a great question. And it's, it's the next fundamental question. Right. You can't have, you know, you, you can't get can't get all this worked out until at some point in time there's collective bargaining and there's there's a union of sort. A someone revenue share, re- representing the athletes. Yeah. Well, you know, Athletes Org is a, is a nonprofit that, you know, Jim Cavell's is is trying to launch to start. But here, here's the thing about that. Until you're willing to lay it all on the line. You know, I was a big fan of baseball, what, in the 80s and the 90s. You know, when they when they struck. <laughs> well, it's like the, the quarterbacks of the NFL. They want guarantees. Yep. You're gonna have to lay it on the line. Sit out. To, you're gonna have to put it yeah. put all your chips, push them on the yeah. table. And there isn't a system for that in place right now. Right. To to be clear. That day's coming though. Um and I think, you know, I don't think it will ever happen. I think that it will be a graduated a gradual process once they get it going. And this is not top of mind for most um, of your casual college football fans that are following the top conferences and the top teams, right? But, Shannon, when you say that the sport is going to be fine, right, the product is going to be okay, it's going to be there, and we're talking about this formation of a possible super conference, a Big Ten, SEC, and then whoever else they add to that. When you see a story like Sean Elliott leaves Georgia State to coach tight ends Mm -hmm. at South Carolina, I can't help but think, South Carolina is going to be okay. And that conference is going to be okay. Is Georgia State going to exist as a football program? You know, in five, ten years, is Middle Tennessee or some of these other places going to exist? What does that look like when this inevitable shift takes place? Man, I, I love this question. Okay, so let, let's, let's just try. I'm going, to, I'm going to really poorly articulate this, but, you know, being a graduate of Lipscomb University, I can, I can see it from, from a different perspective. Okay, and here's the bottom line. Every relationship I have, every relationship I have in business and any success that I've had has come through sports or relationships through sports. Sports is the ultimate opportunity to meet and connect, to, to reveal character and all the things. There is a place for those schools, for all of those schools. Okay, but it is not to compete in this revenue-generating chasing the superstar athlete stage. That's not what, what those, those institutions are about. And so that's why the NCAA, it's not, it, there can't be a one-size-fits-all, and that's why the model doesn't work. But those schools aren't going away because guess what they do? They, do, they are building student athletes. They are building men and women 
you know, that, that are actually going to class, that are learning, that are bettering their career and all the things. And, and such a proponent, I think they're going to actually win in the end. I think you articulated that very well. And being a Lipscomb guy, like yourself, so Lipscomb doesn't have football, they have basketball. And I, I, do, I want to see the NCAA basketball tournament protected, even if it's not the NCAA running it. So if football forms this one thing, will basketball at the Division One level, even if maybe it's not 345 teams or whatever it is now, maybe it's a little bit less, are we still going to have those Cinderella-type stories Cinderella teams that are going to exist in the new college basketball if it changes. Yeah, I, I think I think there's greater questions around how you work out the college basketball enterprise than there is college football. Ironically, you know, because you could make a lot of arguments for so many reasons that college basketball works within the current environment. Where it gets wonky is when you start talking about labor relations and Title IX issues, which which would affect it harmoni- harmoniously syncing with the current association. The other the, the, so this is <laughs> just this is what comes down aghast. to me. When I hear, oh, you know, this is going to cripple the sport financially, right? <laughs> uh, how but give me the per- percentage again, forty two percent of uh Athletic budgets going to coaches or administration that is coaches, not there. coaches, administration, and admin according to the Knight Commission. Okay. Their own document. That the money's only going to go up. The SEC after twenty by twenty thirty, they're probably it's a hundred million plus per school for their their TV revenue. Uh, it's maybe that before. Um, the buyouts are going to continue to rise. I don't know how they get a a hold of that. And, and there's no admission that it's broken. Is what gets me. And there's no blame of oh uh, Ryan Day. As a $46 million buyout, not to beat Michigan, to lose to Michigan. Because he'll be fired. He's going to be paid $46 million. Uh, Mark Stoops is, has a $50 million buyout at Kentucky. James Franklin's in the 60s. And, I mean, these coaches are paid to fail. If, if I could gun back in time, players I'd be a sports are, agent. Players are paid to I mean, be successful for name, image, likeness. That's how you capitalize on it. Coaches are paid to fail. But now you can't even afford to be the school that decides to say, I'm not going to play this game anymore. Because if you're the one or two schools that do that, you're going to lose out on top coaching talent because everyone is offering these huge buyouts to lure top coaching talent to their school. So I don't even know how to fix it. Well, I I also think that you're going to see a change or you're seeing a change in in just the whole coaching Universe. Look at look how many play how many coaches right now have actually won a national title. Well, they're getting paid like it though, you know. Yeah, I mean, and that's just a function of the top line, Shannon, you know, the, right? It's a function of the top line. I, I think they could help themselves. Not they could give the buyouts. They need to up the buyout if another team comes calling. Like if Ryan Day were to get hired by A and M, just throwing it out there, A and M would pay Ohio State four and a half million. That's it. But to lose to Michigan, he's going to get $46 million. That's yeah. so lopsided and broken. Uh, if they're really call, they're crying poor, point to that and those that are handing out these contracts. Well, you get solutions to all of those problems when, when you make this a business for profit. You know, when it's someone's real job to make and turn a profit and to grow margins, I promise you. And that's the only solutions. 
Those, those dudes that are paid to keep the profits exactly where they are going up don't want to pay the players more than they have to, right? Like, let's... That it's a smart business move. Listen, the NCAA is in a great position because they're kind of starting at zero. You know, so I mean, yeah, I know they're starting at eight percent, but they're starting at zero. So there's, you know, so there's. Is, per are, your point, are, are, is it the best two that we could possibly hope for leading this with Petiti and Sankey? Unbelievable. Okay. Yeah, San, Sankey. You know, I think he's a, what a Syracuse man. Sankey is qualified to run and, and architect the entire engine. And he is he is he is brilliant and if if he ever gets in a position where he can take you know take the brakes off he'd figure it out. He's about to be. He's about to be. Eventually. I, I just love how he's like, yeah, we don't need any more conferences. We're just going to do Yeah, it. We'll, can, we'll do it ourselves. And everyone everyone just kind of pipe down. You know? it, it's the only solution, truthfully. And they're all going on three. That's right, because Shannon Terry's there. It's his baby. Well, NIL three years there. in, they maybe like NCAA transfer they, portal they is are there. The, there's a resource there. It's on three. The, the, That's where they can find their everyone's their side of the argument is there. That's right. Hey, Shannon, thank you for coming in, man. It's always great seeing you. Love it, guys. Great show. Oh, Shannon makes it better. Yep, every time we always learn something. I, but I mean, it just it pisses me off hearing some of the. Oh, these guys are saying this and that. You've got. You know, uh, Charlie Baker's name being mentioned. Where Charlie Baker's saying that Michigan won everything fair and square. Yeah. Uh, two different things, the Connor Stallions deal and this. But, I but mean, it, it's just – it's. I'm, I'm listening to someone in power say it, that. But it's also – they're now fighting themselves. Danny White and what he says and Dondi Plowman at Tennessee say and what Josh Heupel well, says about players deserve to make as much money as they can. And they did ask for they're help. They're a member of the NCAA. They did. They did. And now the NCAA is saying, we're just doing what you're asking. And then everyone else well, is saying, no, no one's asking for this, actually. Well, no, they were asking for it in 2021. They yeah, were asking, they were for, asking for rules that they never gave them. guidelines. And it was yeah. like, hey, listen to your conference and, and your administrators. Well, yeah. that's what they've been doing. Exactly. No one wanted to leave. And Charlie Baker, for whatever reason, wanted this job. People are going to keep getting paid. Back at it tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Tuesday edition, 4 o'clock Eastern. Hot by with Hunter Withrow right here at outkick.com. <laughs>